When I found out I was going to be teaching, I began thinking about what to share. And um, one thing that's always been quite dear to my heart um, popped back up into my, um, well, my email box here, uh, reminding me that uh, today is the International Day of Prayer for, the, for Persecuted Christians. And so I wanted to take a moment this morning uh, to uh, just watch one of the videos from Voice of the Martyrs to... Uh, I've invited a few people up that will be praying, leading us in prayer for these um, persecuted Christians. But just a little bit about the International Day of Prayer um, for persecuted Christians. It's a special time that um, we as ministry leaders and um, leaders of other organizations set aside uh, as a global prayer meeting on behalf of persecuted Christians who stand as bold witnesses to Christ on the world's most difficult and dangerous frontier mission fields. Uh, the earnest prayers of the global body of believers testify to the unity found only in Christ. And may God inspire us as we enter into fellowship with our persecuted Christian brothers and sisters. When we extend our love to help um, and help to persecuted Christians, we are receiving an astonishing blessing in return. Persecuted believers provide us with examples of bold faith in the face of severe opposition. As our faith and witness are increasingly challenged, we benefit from the true stories of these exemplary brothers and sisters. Those who attack Christians living in places like Nigeria attempt to silence their faithful witness. One of their tactics is to destroy or seize the Bibles of faithful Christians. In the face of persecution, our Christian brothers and sisters know that the word of God endures forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8. More than anything else, persecuted Christians request our prayers and a copy of their own Bible. As you view... Um, as you view the love our Nigerian Christian brothers and sisters share for God's word in the video that we'll watch in a moment, I hope you will be inspired to help persecution, persecuted Christians receive their own copy of the Bible. So we're going to watch this video. It's entitled Rebecca, and she's from Nigeria.
and when my children were old enough, go ready to them and your friends. Let the little children come to me.
Man, that's a moving video. Um, just to see how um, important God's word is to people and how I have, you know, 15 Bibles on bookshelves and how accessible it is even for myself to have um, access to God's word and um, that there are brothers and sisters who hold fast to the very one, the one Bible they have and they, and they, they read it and they bring it into their lives and they instruct others through it and buy it and they even take what others have told them when they don't even have their own. Um, very powerful, moving video. And this is what people, our brothers and sisters that are persecuted in other countries for just associating themselves with Jesus' name. This is what they're going through. This is what they hold fast to. It's, it's God's word. It means everything to them. And so I uh, wanted to dedicate some time this morning to pray for persecuted Christians everywhere. And so if the people I've, I've asked, I've asked some to lead us in prayer this morning. Um, through some just specific ways that we're going to pray for them. So if you will join with us as we pray. Father, we do lift up the word of God. <laughs> the, the ability to be able to access your word. You said that you, the, the reason for which you send it, Lord, it will never come back void. But Lord, I pray that you would open the door. There are, there are no nations before you, Lord. Peoples, tribes, tribal tongues, yes, Lord, but Lord, just your people. There are no borders, no laws that would restrict your word. Though they exist in man, they don't exist in heaven. Lord, I pray that you would open the door for your word. Yes, Lord. Lord, I, I pray for, for those that are, are doing the work and taking their lives into their hands, Lord, just by moving Bibles secretly. Yes, Lord. I pray that you protect them. Yes, Lord. I pray that you would you would put your word in the hands of those, Lord, that would share it. Yes, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would open the door for your word. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we come before you and we pray for the persecuted, Lord. We pray that their pain just shows others how much love there is for you, Lord, and that uh, we can support them in their pain, Lord. That uh, also the minds of the persecutors, Lord, get changed in seeing that they how much your love means to all of us, Lord. And Lord, I also pray, Lord, that we as a church, blessed to be able to live in a country that uh, there is no persecution, Lord, that uh, we can come together, Lord, that we can uh, ask for and, and ask for that wisdom and that uh, power to be able to support these individuals, Lord, as they go through their persecution, Lord, that uh, they, they know that there are people that are like-minded that Support them in all that they do, Lord. Mm -hmm. And may your name, Lord, through all of this, just be glorified, yes. Lord, and spread through this world, Lord. Yes. I pray this all in your heavenly name. Yes. 
Father, we know that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever, God. Yes, Father. Lord, we pray that our hearts to stand in the God for those people that's in persecution right now, Lord. Yes, Lord. There's so much that we don't know. There's so much, Lord, that at least if we can be on knees and pray for them. Mm -hmm. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are their provider, Lord God. Even the Bible, so God, he need it, Lord. We know that you are more than enough, Lord God. Yes, Lord. Use us. Mm -hmm. Make our heart broken. Yes, Lord. Just to say, Lord God, we pray that you... You bless them, Lord. You give them yes. courage. Those people yes. that's in the front line, oh God, yes. wherever they are, oh God. Yes. Lord, we pray for the courage, the strength, Lord. God, we believe in you and we trust in you. Bless them, Lord. We glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And Heavenly Father, we pray that you would just uh, continue to inspire us through the example of our brothers and sisters that are daily um, encountering persecution, Lord. Lord, to cherish your word, Lord, that it would be our food and it would be our drink, Lord. May we serve you boldly so that others may be filled with the knowledge of your glory, Father, we pray. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to know more about uh, Voice of the Martyrs, you can go to vom.org forward slash IDOP, and that'll take you to the International Day of Prayer website. Uh, they also have uh, vom.com or vombibles.com was another way if you feel um, led to purchase Bibles that can be sent out and uh, taken into these restricted areas. So, uh, wonderful ministry there. Continue to pray just for the work that God's doing in and through them. So, um, this morning, the passage that we're going to be looking at is in Galatians. We'll go to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 19, 19 and 20. I titled uh, this message, Dying to Live. It says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is the word of the Lord. In the Christian life, there is a need to die to self. A dying of old ways, old things that we used to do. A death of the pursuit of our will. These old ways are exchanged for new life through Christ. In the very presence of God living within us. By faith, we surrender control over our own lives to the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. 
Our passage today is Paul describing a conversation that he had with Peter. Uh, And this was a a confrontational uh, situation that he had. He had two apostles, one confronting another. That's not something that goes down really simply, does it? But Peter, what was happening is that Peter and many who were with him were struggling to let go of their old ways of living under the law. And they were misrepresenting the gospel to their Gentile brothers and sisters. And Paul, in wrapping up his statement about the way he now relates to the thing that so greatly controlled his life, namely the law, he's expressing who has control over his life now. And so Paul begins by describing himself dying to the law. For through the law I died to the law, that I might live to God. What did the law mean to Paul, you might ask? What was the law? Well, some of us who may have been going to church for a long time are just thinking about Ten Commandments or Old Testament stuff, and you wouldn't be wrong. But when Paul is talking about the law here, he is referencing the laws and ordinances found in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. But he's also referring to the traditions that the Jewish elders or scribes created in order to keep oneself pure and acceptable to God. This was their way of going above and beyond all that God required to live according to a pattern that would make them holy, make them better than the rest of sinners around them, even their own brothers and sisters, or their own Jewish brothers and sisters who weren't like them. But the law ultimately was Paul's way of relating to God. It was the way he made himself acceptable to God. But Paul says in talking to Peter and and the Galatians who would read this, he goes, I died to the law. He uses a real strong illustration here of death. This wasn't just something I, I quit doing. He goes, no, I died to the law. This is how his relationship now stood. There had to be a severing of the relationship to the law for Paul. In Romans chapter 10, verse 5, we see that obedience to the law demanded one, whole, one person's whole life. If you were going to adhere to the law, you had to follow it through all the way. There was no exception. And Paul explained that the law had no power to make a person righteous before God. But what the law revealed was the sin of man. You see, the law isn't a bad thing. But it's meant to drive us to God. Not be a checklist of things that we can do to be accepted by him. But Paul, you know, he says he died to the law. But how did he die to the law? Was it just something that he came up with and, and was like, well, I'm going cha- to stop doing that and I'm going to do this? Was it, was it just a willful decision on his behalf? No. 
The way that Paul died through the law was through a person. He explains it in Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 4. It says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now that we have been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of the letter. You see, Paul describes that we are made to die through the law, that he was able to die through the law through the crucified body of Christ. To be joined to him because he has conquered death and having been raised from the dead. All the law did was to draw out our sinful passions. It reveals what lives within our hearts and what will ultimately produce death in us. It was Jesus' death that released us from the condemnation of the law that we could not live up to its standards. It's in his death that we are joined to him in death to the law, meaning that we are not under its condemnation any longer, but able to serve God in the Spirit. Paul's whole way of relating to the law was altered by one person, and that was Jesus Christ. You see, by Peter and them holding on to the old ways, and if Paul would have held on to them too, it would have kept him alienated from fellowship with God. He would have continued to seek to earn God's favor. And it would have, as we see in Peter's situation, it would have alienated him from other believers. And this was what was happening in this context. Peter went back to law behaviors and was guilty of acting in opposition to the gospel and causing division between Gentile and Jewish believers in Galatia. And so we think about Paul dying to the law. Him coming in contact with Jesus. Not in contact, but receiving him as Savior. And making a statement that I'm, I'm dead to the law. I'm dead to the old ways. It makes me want to ask us today, what are some of the old ways that we continue to live in that alienate us from God and others? You see, we didn't, we didn't grow up in a culture necessarily where we have a law that we're abiding by to gain God's favor. But what we often do as people is we create some sort of standard within our lives to measure ourselves against, to qualify us as good people or good Christians. Sometimes that qualifying factor is the acceptance of other people. That we favor their acceptance over God's acceptance. Sometimes it's our own life plan. That we put more greater value on that than on what God's plan is for our lives. Sometimes it's our comfort. 
Is our comfort of greater value than obeying God to do something difficult? Whatever I'm doing to learn, earn God's acceptance, it's really just rejecting the call to follow Jesus where he is leading. But not only are we holding fast to our own ways and, and rejecting what God is um, offering, but there are things that we, bearing Christ's name, calling ourselves Christians, could be doing, saying, or even believing that would be in opposition to the gospel. In opposition to other people coming to know Christ through our lives. What is it that I am still holding on to from the old life? Paul, he had to die to his relationship with the law. His criteria of earning God's favor. His criteria of measuring himself up to be holy. You see, a death had to occur. And Paul talks about the type of death it was. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I was thinking about this this morning. and The, the crucifixion. We've talked about it before. We've, we are here this morning and we're going to take communion. But the crucifixion, it was a humiliating way to die. It was agonizing. And, and Paul is using this terminology to say that I have joined Christ in crucifixion. Christ's body was dead because of crucifixion. Paul himself rendered himself, thought of himself as completely dead. And you've got to notice, it's, it's a past tense phrase. He had ceased living for himself. It speaks of a past completed action having present finished results. Paul used it to show his identification with Christ at the cross was a past fact. And that the spiritual benefits that have come to him through his identification are present realities. Paul, he was experiencing Christ now because of his death with Christ before. It had already occurred. You see, Christ died on the cross under its penalty. And he satisfied the demands of the law. A perfect, a holy, a righteous life. So Paul, saying that he is joining himself with Christ, meant that Paul had to die to himself. And when Paul died, the old Paul went away. And the new Paul arose. The old life, everything had passed away. Is there anything of the old life we're holding on to? Paul's faith meant that he died to his old identity as a Pharisee. 
I thought, you know, what does a Pharisee look like? You know, we, we use the term kind of in a negative way. Oh, that person's a Pharisee, you know, a hypocrite. Somebody who tells everybody they're wrong, but they're just as wrong as the rest, you know. But Pharisees were known for insisting that the law of God be observed as the scribes interpreted it for their special commitment to keeping the laws of tithing and ritual purity. Pharisees also believed it was important to observe all the laws of God, which they were taught were 613 in all. How about that list? I could barely keep up with maybe five or six, you know. But they were especially known for their commitment to keeping the laws of tithing and ritual purity. It was something that they, you, you can see reference throughout uh, the Gospels of them boasting in that, or references to them keeping those, those laws. The Pharisee thought they could match God's standards by keeping all the outward rules. And some of us can be that way too. We can look good on the outside, but inwardly we're struggling. Inwardly, we can't keep our own standards. Inwardly, we fail over and over. The Pharisees also thought that they were doing their best to keep God's laws while others were not. They often looked down on such sinners, especially people like tax collectors and prostitutes. And so they did have this religious air about them. And it turned them from being compassionate people to despising others. Paul, his will was rendered inactive. And it was Christ's will that mattered now. The Christian experience will always involve death of some sort. To set us free, it took the death of Jesus. And to live the life of faith, it involves death to self. Paul, the self-righteous Pharisee, died. But Paul, the great apostle, will continue to live. Still the same guy. Different master. The new life of Christ followed his crucifixion. That's how we see it portrayed. We see that Christ, after having been crucified, was buried and he rose again. That is the pattern that is set forth for us as Jesus' followers. So when uh, Paul had associated himself with the crucifixion of Christ, that it was only right that he would come back in power and new life through Jesus Christ. The old man is crucified with Christ, and Christ is in him as the new principle of his life. You know, uh, I want to read this little quote from a commentator because I love how well he phrased it. Um, I, you know, struggle to find words that are eloquent as most people here, but this was really profound, and I want to share it with you. It's by a, a guy named Wiest. It's no longer a self-centered life that Paul lives, but a Christ-centered one. His new life is a person, the Lord Jesus living in him. And through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus is manifested in his life. And that's our goal, right? That's what we want to be as Christians. Little, little Christ, that's what the term means. 
We want to have Jesus' life manifested in ours. A new life is no longer like the former one, dependent upon ineffectual efforts of a man attempting to draw near to God in his own righteousness. What a release, right? Drawing near to God in our own efforts? The new life is a person within a person, living out his life in that person. Instead of attempting to live his life in obedience to a set of rules in the form of the legal enactments of the Mosaic law, Paul now yields to the indwelling Holy Spirit and cooperates with him in the production of a life pleasing to God. Energized by the divine life resident in him through the regenerating work of the Spirit. Instead of a sinner with a totally deprived nature attempting to find acceptance with God by attempting obedience to a set of outward laws, it is now the saint living his life on a new principle, that of the indwelling Holy Spirit manifesting forth the Lord Jesus. Paul's ability to live for Jesus was not based in anything or any strength or power of his own, but the very presence of of God living in him. And he didn't want to compromise that for nothing. Paul's new life was one yielded to the Spirit. And this is why he could say, in the life that I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God. You see, Paul, using all this death language, wasn't dead physically. He was very much alive, but the life he led was lived differently than before. You see, there's an emphasis in that, on the word now. And the life which I now live, it emphasizes a beginning of his Christian walk. When was that beginning for you? When everything changed? When it was like, the life that I now live, is going in a completely different direction than it once was. When was the now for you? Was it long ago? In a time or a land far, far away? Or is it constant? It's like, now is the day. Now I'm going to move forward. Now I'm going to keep going with him. It contrasts a life of the flesh before he was crucified with Christ with now having that center impulse of Christ within him. This picture of Paul being crucified with Christ didn't produce a Christian who merely stopped sinning, but a Christian who through whom Christ lived, whose own desires had been conformed to Christ's. And probably one of the sweetest lines in our passage this morning is how Paul describes his relationship with Jesus. He says that I live my I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me.
How do you not respond in giving up your life when you recognize the great love and the life that was laid down for you? Paul personalized this. You don't you see him preaching a lot about what Christ did for the church and for others, but in his statement here, he personalizes it. I mean, he gives his testimonies often. But he said, who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, that and, it explains a lot. That Jesus' love was proved by him giving himself. Do you think that there's going to be any less requirement of Jesus' followers? Does that question make sense? Do you think there's going to be any less of that? If Jesus gave himself up for us, do you think it's not going to be expected in return? You see, when things were given in these ancient uh, cultures, there was the expectation of reciprocity. They were expecting that something would be done in return. You didn't just give gifts away. We like to think of things that way. Oh, it's a free gift. Well, what's the line? There's, nothing's ever free, you know. And with Christ, he paid the penalty without anybody responding to him. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the church. But to receive of that grace costs us. Jesus laid down his life. And Paul saw it. I'm laying down my life as well. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. This is called costly grace. Sorry, my nose is all still emotional from all these videos here and watching. You see, Paul had lived under the bonds of the law for so long that when he met Christ, he actually experienced the love of God. Martin Luther wrote, Did the law ever love me? Did the law ever sacrifice itself for me? Did the law ever die for me? On the contrary, it accuses me. It frightens me. It drives me crazy. Somebody else saved me from the law, from sin and death unto eternal life. Somebody, that somebody, is the Son of God, to whom be praise and glory forever. I can't agree with that more than anything. A man who saw, much like Paul, through disciplining of the body and everything else to, to achieve a holiness and an acceptance by God, and found it only wrecked him. 
because he couldn't keep it up. None of us can keep it up. But the one who died to set us free is the one who loves us. Jesus loved Paul. Not after Paul came to him, but before Paul came to him. And he displayed it upon the cross. Jesus has displayed his love to the world by giving up his life for those that embrace him. Giving them new life and freedom from the laws that condemn. How will we respond to Jesus today? Will we allow him to help himself to us? Or are we more concerned with our own ideas of what we are going to be or more concerned with the acceptance of others? I wanted to close by reading these lyrics from a, um, a hymn called The Wonder, Wondrous Cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? Oh, the wonderful cross. Oh, the wonderful cross. It bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. Oh, the wonderful cross, the wonderful cross. All who gather here by grace draw near and bless your name. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Oh, the wonderful cross, the wonderful cross, bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. Oh, the wonderful cross, the wonderful cross, all who gather here, by grace draw near and bless your name. This morning we're going to take communion and uh, it's just going to invite you guys to come forward as we play our worship song. But the closing thoughts that I want you to take into, uh, into this time of worship. There's a quote here from Spurgeon. He says, take these blessed words of the apostle and put them in your mouth and let them lie here, lie there as wafers made with honey till they melt into your very soul. What words is he talking about? Who loved me and gave himself for me. That quote couldn't have lined up in a greater way for us to take communion. That what we see today, that what we remember when we partake of communion is the greatest love that ever was shown. 
that he loved me. And when I say me, I'm saying it on your behalf too. He loved me and gave himself for me. Make it personal today. So personal. I landed on this scripture because, and maybe some of you can agree with maybe my stage in life, but I'm finding there are ways that I still try to hold on to me. And there are things that I've tried to hold on to. That Jesus is like, when are you going to let go? When are you going to just do what I'm asking you to do? And so, when I read these verses, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It better be him living in me (laughs) and not me trying to do my own thing. And to serve the one who loved me and gave himself for me, there's no better place to be. No safer place to be. So, have the worship team come forward. take this morning.